You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. There was once a dream, you could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm going to have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith and trust. Well, if it isn't the Star Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! <laughs> Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders. Sprinkle some of that pixie dust around. Think of your happiest thought. And let's fly away to Neverland. And of course, I am your head lost boy, Jeremy, also known as the Spider Pan. I've just got a few quick announcements to get into before we dive into a lot of fun. Of course, I had to have a movie review this week because the final in the trilogy... The Dragons Trilogy, if you will. How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, was released this week. And of course, I didn't go alone when I went to that movie. Pixie Heather joined me, and we're going to give our opinions of that film in today's episode. You'll also get to hear from Richard Richard Woloski. See, it's hard to say even his first name. And of course, Jedi Schwa. One from, of course, Skywalking Through Neverland. The other from Techno Retro Dads. Two podcasts I do enjoy, and they're just really cool, fun people anyway. But they are bigger fans of the monkeys than I am, and with the passing of Peter Tork, I thought it would be fun to talk to them about the monkeys. Lost Boy Eric won't be joining us this week because I've pretty much got the whole show done, and I just wanted to take a couple minutes here at the beginning of the show before we start our fun to give you an update on a few things that I think might be important. One, I wanted to let you know about my buddy Philip. Uh, you've heard him before, Lost Boy Philip. He's been on the show many times. Uh, he is having some medical treatment right now. This is vitally important. Uh, I don't really feel that it's my my place to give you much on details, uh, but there's a lot of hope that this could be some beneficial surgery for him that uh, hopefully will help with some medical problems that he's had. Uh, I will let you know that he has had three tumors, and they have found one of them is regrowing, which which they just found when they were actually going in to do something different. Uh, so I, if you are a praying type of person, I would appreciate your prayers. Otherwise, send us some pixie dust, you know, send some his way. Uh, it's going to be a busy month for him, uh, spending a lot of time there in a hospital, uh, and hopefully with some surgeries that are going to definitely improve uh, some health problems that he has had for a good long time. And so I just wanted to get that out there since you're f- probably familiar with him. And if you're not, then you probably haven't been listening to us for that long. And so I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to some of our older episodes because uh, you'll like Philip. You know, I've known him since I was seven. And so, you know, he's really in my thoughts and everything right now. Something else I wanted to let you know of what's going on. I, and I think I've mentioned this, 
um, starting on Monday the 25th. That would be tomorrow from where I'm recording, but you might be listening to this on Monday. But I'm starting my new position with Eagle Communications. They have four radio stations up about 45 minutes away from me where I'll be working, and I'm starting a job with that company. It's only part-time. I'll be a board operator. Some of you might already know this if you follow me on Facebook. Uh, so that's a new position. That is like I'm taking the next step forward uh, in my regular money career. Because, you know, really, I don't make any money doing this podcast. In fact, this podcast costs me money. If you would like to help, though, with those costs, we do have a Patreon page. You can find links at NeverlandPodcast.com or go to Patreon and search for Neverland Podcast. You will find us. Uh, I appreciate all the support I get that helps kind of pay for this show. We also do have a t-shirt shop. We have some fun t-shirts, including one of uh, Unicorn P, which is a lot in Animal Kingdom, which Eric talked about where last time he visited Animal Kingdom, that's where he stayed, and we thought it was funny. We made a goofy-looking shirt, so hopefully you will enjoy it and be able to have a great conversation about Animal Kingdom, which is not a half-day park. So we have those available to you, and everything you do does help support the show, and we appreciate it. Um, But moving on from that, I feel like I got sidetracked there for a second. Uh, But yeah, so I'm looking into more of a career because the podcast is something I do because I enjoy doing this. I love talking to you all every week and I have fun and talking to all of our guests and getting to talk to Eric every week. Well, mostly every week. (laughs) You know, it's fun for me. So it's something I enjoy doing. Um, But... I need to, of course, pay the bills and going in the direction of career uh, into radio. I'm very excited about that. Uh, But why I want to bring this up to you is I'm also taking an additional freelance position that uh, will be some part-time work with a company called Midco, which is out in Lawrence, Kansas, which is about an hour away from me. And that would be filming some sports, that kind of thing, which I have trained in doing that over at university as well. Uh, So this could be very, very big for me. Uh, The nice thing is it is freelance, so I can pick which games I I have the ability to work, the time to work, you know, fitting it around my schedule over at the radio station. So I will hopefully be able to balance this. But I don't know exactly when I'm going to be starting that. They had to run a criminal background check on me, which everywhere that I've, you know, everywhere I'm being hired anymore, it's they do a criminal background check. So I guess this is a thing now. So which... You know, okay, I mean, I've got a clean record, so no problem. Uh, It does make me wonder, this is a whole separate question, but for anyone who does have, you know, uh, some red on their ledger, as as was stated in the Avengers, if we are not giving them a good second chance these days, you know, because we send people to prison hoping to rehabilitate them and give them an opportunity to come back and rejoin society and be more productive and maybe improve themselves, but if a really good job is not going to allow you to be employed because of a criminal record, uh, that could be sad. And now, granted, I guess you know, a company wants to protect themselves from someone who might be a felon, but our hope would be that in the prison system, they, you know, somebody in there, I would hope, takes the chance to improve themselves and wants to turn their life around and come out and have a new life. And I really feel like we need to give people that second chance. Uh, but that's my own personal opinion. It's just something I've been thinking about with, you know, the criminal background checks that I'm having done on me that really, if I failed one, I would not get the position. Uh, but I'm going to have these positions because I haven't got a criminal record, so I don't have to worry about that. But I, you know, I do concern. I do think about these things. If, you know, we give people second chances, you know, I even worry sometimes when we put people on registered sex offender uh, registrations, if we're just branding them and labeling them for life, when maybe some people reform and want to change their life and, you know, 
I, you know, I know I, I understand wanting to protect people from them and if they're in your neighborhood, you'd want to know about it. But I really also feel like we need to make sure we give people a second chance and a chance to change their lives. I mean, that's uh, me as being, you know, we'll, we'll call me religious for, you know, I guess the politically correct version or whatever. But that is part of my belief system is that people, we all get a second chance. And I really want to make sure that people do get their second chance. So just just things I think about, you know, has nothing to do with our fun here. We're going to have some fun on this show, and I already told you about that. But one thing I wanted to point out with now that I'm going to have these two positions, uh, once I get started with Midco, I've got to figure out how to balance these two jobs uh, to kind of, you know, make ends meet. And there might be changes to my podcast schedule. I don't know. So... I just wanted to make you all aware of that, that as I balance out these two career paths that I'm taking, of course, I'm really, I would love to do the radio work and have my own show on radio. I mean, that's part of the reasons, you know, I was podcasting. So I, that's my focus, but I'm going to have two positions. I have to work at both the, in order to kind of make ends meet really. And I want to make sure I have enough time for the podcast, but it might change our release dates or release schedule. I don't know at this point. I just wanted to make you aware that some things may change and I may have to change release days. It's possible. I don't know. Once I get going, I'll be able to keep you updated on that. But, of course, I also want to let you know if you want to stay followed up on updating, make sure you follow us over on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm going to make sure I get these Marvel Mondays started. I've been meaning to do it. Uh, I've uploaded all the images for Marvel Mondays onto my phone so I can quickly and easily post to Instagram and Twitter some fun images from classic Marvel trading card series that Eric has helped me out a lot with getting all of these images. And I do appreciate that. And I think you're all going to enjoy seeing these new images. And i got to make sure I put out a Ms. Marvel image with some information this week because... Guess what happens here very, very soon in just a couple weeks. Captain Marvel will be hitting the theaters, and I'm seeing some encouraging reviews. I mean, I know there's definitely some people having a problem with Brie Larson, but I want to watch the film and judge the film on its merits, and right now I'm very encouraged. Uh, Richard had some great things to say about it that we didn't record, but uh, he really enjoyed it. They went to a press screening, him and, and Sarah, over at Skywalking Through Neverland. I'm sure they'll talk all about the movie probably a little sooner than I get a chance to because I haven't seen it yet, but it was very encouraging, so I'm going to check it out. We will be reviewing it here on the show. Uh, But speaking of a movie review, I'm not going to have any news this week. We're just going to go straight into our review of How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie starring everybody and me. Boy, I wish I were you people seeing this for the first time. Kermit, I got a great picture of the chicken. Oh, good. All right, so we just walked in the door, almost literally, (laughs) from seeing How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, which is a mouthful of a title. Yeah, it is. Was the second one, did I have a big, I know I had a subtitle. Uh, I don't remember thinking they called it two at all. They just had another title. I don't remember what it was, though. Yeah. <laughs> Writers of Burke or something like that? Uh, no, is... that was a television series. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but yeah, each one has a subtitle. So, but it's the third and final in the trilogy. Yep. And uh, I, I, some people got early viewing, so I, I would like to have gone to an early viewing, but we weren't able to go. But the reactions to early viewing was it has a very highly emotional end. Which I had predicted, especially after what I saw in a commercial. And heck, if you don't have it predicted at least halfway through the movie, uh, I'd be surprised. 
But even with the predictable ending, it's still an emotional hit. It's a good movie. Yes, it was. And, and you don't mind so much the emotional, um, you know, part of it. And yeah, like you said, the ads kind of prepare you for, you know, there's going to be some hard choices that have to be made. But overall, this still is a lot of fun. Like all the films have really been a lot of fun, a good fun fantasy thing, a lot of, you know, friendship, very heartfelt stuff, and a lot of just really delightful stuff with, uh, as you've seen in the ads, the light fury that they've come across. Yeah. Uh, which uh, she's has a major part to play in the plot of it, but overall she's kind of a minor character. You were mentioning in the car that she didn't seem like a fully developed character, but she's yeah. really a minor character, but she's important to the story. Yeah, and, and that may be some of the cutest parts of the movie is um, her and Toothless. Yeah. Kind of figuring out, hey, you're kind of like me, and I want you to like me. Yeah, and, and one of them's a bit more wild, and the other one's a little bit more tame. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, the differences that they have there is kind of fun. But you have long scenes, actually, with just the two of them. There's no dialogue, but you kind of understand everything. Mm -hmm. They're very well animated, and their behavior, and you I, get it. I appreciate it as a biology-type person that, you know, there was a lot of interaction between the two dragons that was reminiscent of some real life you know organisms yeah with their, some bird the, mating dances yeah a lot of bird uh <laughs> like they they do a lot of behaviors like the bird well they, they kind of tried to do that with the movies as they went along i felt like the second movie um, they gave, they showed Toothless as having a lot of cat behaviors. Yeah. This well, one I felt one too, like, but... this one I felt like they gave a little more dog-like behaviors, especially with Fetch with the leg. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Yeah. It's like, you realize this is my leg and not a chew toy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it, overall, the story of this one is we have yet another dragon hunter out there. Uh, but, you know, they're, the driving, you know, and it felt like it could have been a repeat of the second one. Oh, look, there's a dragon hunter and we have this hidden area of dragons. Uh, but it wasn't quite like that. This was more, you know, they're, the dragons are never going to get left alone. Uh, we even see in there that they're, they're going and they're freeing dragons from trappers. But the, now Burke is overcrowded with dragons and they've got a bit of a problem of what to do. So there's this legend of this hidden world where the dragons came from. And so Hiccup, of course, is wanting to find this world to try to keep the dragons out of the hands of, his name was Grimalt, who's this dry, really smart dragon hunter that uh, at one point Hiccup thinks that uh, he's gotten one step ahead and tricked this guy, but the guy actually was prepared for Hiccup to be smart. Yeah. And so it was, he was a very interesting, he, he doesn't have a lot of depth, this villain. But he's a very interesting character. Uh, we we meant to look up who was doing the voice because yeah, it had to have been somebody know. big. It, we it sounded it like somebody familiar, and I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't place, place the name. But even the that that was the thing with the with this one. I felt like um, you know we see a lot of things that I think fans have been wanting to see, or questions that they have have had about, like you know from the first one. They was always looking for the dragon lair, the dragon lair. Well, this is well, that was the dragon nest. The, the nest was one thing. Okay, but this one, this is like the ultimate. This is like the location. final. Yeah. So this is this is kind of like wrapping that part up. I yeah. felt, and then we get a little resolution of like what happened to the night furies because you know you kind of yeah. see it throughout. Well, they're so rare. The second one establishes that hey, yeah, we got rid of a lot of them, and then this one kind of wraps that up. So there's lots of things that I yeah. think. The fans, and I know I had questions, I mean, not burning questions, but, you know, questions about like, hey, what what about this? And this one really nicely wraps it up. 
Yep, it did a nice Toy Story 3 wrap-up, and hopefully that doesn't mean we suddenly get a strange, why are we doing a fourth Dragons movie? Yeah. Well, they'd have to do it very differently. They'd, um, yeah, they'd have to do a completely different thing, because I, I don't think there's yeah. any reason to, to make a four. They wrapped everything up perfectly no. at the end of this. You got everything you'd like to have seen. There was one thing I did wonder about, because I thought in the second one that they had established that, that Astrid and Hiccup were already engaged. And they were expecting to get married at some time soon. I figured sometime between the second and third movie, they would have already been married. So I was actually kind of surprised in the third one they had, like, like she's hesitant. And so they just, well, why mess with what we have kind well, of thing? Well, they, they do mention it's only a year. Yeah. Since. Well, a, a year is enough time to have gotten married. Well, yeah. if you're busy, if you're busy against like dragon trappers, which apparently that's what they've that's been what doing, they've been doing all year, that you wouldn't have had time to think about that, and there really I, isn't a. I would think that'd be a bit of a priority. <laughs> you, I, think, you would think it uh, seemed kind of weird, but it, it. I think they mainly did it though for the sake of being able to use it as something to wrap things up in the third movie. Yeah. So. It, they, it, it, it fit into like, oh, well, let's have a reason to kind of just delay it so we can wrap it up here in this film. And so it really, it tied everything up in a nice little package, nice little bow, yeah. and sent you away with a Kleenex and a smile. Yeah, yeah. If you <laughs> if you tend to cry at movies like someone I I know, um, you may want to bring some Kleenex. Yeah, and in fact, if you saw anybody on Twitter after the the early showing like two three weeks ago, people were taking pictures of themselves with red puffy eyes. So they were trying to prepare us, like, okay. The, so that still the doesn't make any is, sense to me. When I when I cry, like, I look horrible. I don't want no pictures of that. Well, people, some people just wanted to prove it, I guess. Uh, okay. But it's definitely worth going to. Especially, you know what? In the, we went in 3D. It was really neat in 3D. Yeah, there was some good things that they put in there that was worth the extra money for, for the 3D. Yeah, um, it was pretty cool. And I think and some of the first the first scenes, I remember, like, universally from the crowd was just like, oh, ooh. I mean. Yeah, they, a lot of. Ooh, especially when the dragons are flying and you have these wide shots through the clouds and it's all moving. Th- oh, mm-hmm. wow. Well, and the one, the, the one, textures were beautiful in this. Yes. Oh, my gosh. They're putting Disney on notice. Um, with especially some sand effects they had. Mm-hmm. The hair is amazing. It looks like real hair. I mean, if the characters didn't look kind of a cartoony in style, I mean, this was almost photorealistic now. I mean, my favorite 3D moment was when they're flying through. Like the the hidden world, and you see oh, all yeah. of these little dragons that come out. I don't know if they come out of the eggs or whether they're coming out of the, oh, these the, tiny little glowing little dragons. glowing yeah. things. And I don't think you're gonna get that same feel at home because it's a smaller screen. You're not gonna have yeah. 3D, but it was really that was my favorite probably shot um, using the 3D was that and and because it felt like those little little dragons were just real like you could just reach out and just like touch them and and i almost was tempted to across my mind of just like oh but of course you know that would look weird and so no <laughs> even the weirdo in the theater reaching out trying to touch a dragon ain't there <laughs> well we did have a lot of kids in there i'm surprised i didn't see any little arms like hey mom what's this you know <laughs> kids are hip with 3d i guess so <laughs> and the, you know the wild thing okay because uh, we go to a lot of Disney movies, obviously, and we'll go to showings, and there'll be a lot of kids, and you'll have a lot of noise sometimes from the kids. I didn't hear a peep. Not even a kid being like, why did they do that? Because I get that a lot of times in Disney films or whatever. Kids were just quiet and just enamored. Oh, on my side, there was some. Oh, you did have one? There okay. was a little bit, yeah, but it was kind of close to the end, and I don't know. 
mom was having a tough time with some of her kids sitting in a seat and she got kind of noisy and there was some crinkly, rumply stuff that was going on over oh, there. So well, all right. my side had a little <laughs> bit. But it, I, I didn't hear have like an overall bunch of movement or noise or whatever from, from oh, kids. It, the kids seemed to be like they were all wrapped mm-hmm. up in this. Uh, and even it's funny, I had this girl sitting next to me. She was an older girl, I think teenager in her 20s, that uh, gave a little squee at something that happens at like the very end end. Which is very squee worthy. It is very squee worthy. There's something really fun at, at the end mm-hmm. and really fun i don't i don't want to say any other words than fun because i don't want to spoil anything but uh, you don't have to stay till the end of the credits but the credits were fun to watch the credits were very clever and honestly i was surprised nobody had ever thought to do that before maybe somebody has and i i just missed it yeah and i'm not just talking of course you know how they roll credits and they'll show like some footage because they did show a lot of the uh a lot of scenes from the other two films and up through some of this one Mm -hmm. uh, at the at the credits where they just throw the cast up but when they started scrolling the credits they had little animations fitting to each section i mean like the actors they had like a red carpet and these vikings pull up in a big limo uh, for the cast, but for each bit of jobs, like the animators would have like these little frames of these Vikings going by, and the rigging mm-hmm. had like a like a marionette, marionette mm-hmm. uh, thing. But they're they're showing what all these different people do, but like in Viking flavors, in Viking flavors, and, yeah. and drawn out. It was so fun. I'm like, there you go. See, now you're helping everybody understand all the different type of things that have to go on with the effects and the the, the backgrounds and all the things that are created by people because we, we get to thinking, oh, they just did it over the computer. But it's people who have to work that computer There's and make it work. There's of people that it's get involved so with work. even the shortest film. Well, even with these yeah. animated, with these new ones, it mm-hmm. still takes a heck of a lot of work. I mean, they can they can make them faster than the hand drawns. Although this one, they've been working on a long time. I remember hearing about this. This is on an old episode. We had the creators of that Floyd Norman documentary, and there was somebody that uh, they spoke with that was listed as you know the How to Train Your Dragon trilogy. And so I asked them about it. It's like, I noticed it said trilogy in your documentary, but so far there's only in two. Do we have a third one on the way? And they just like, yes, there's a third one they're working on right now. And that's been a couple years ago. So, I mean, it still takes a long time to develop these movies. So, uh, but it's nice to get a little bit of point to what it is that they do and what mm-hmm. all these different things, what it means when you have a matte artist or whatever in a computer. And I still think my favorite one was the production where they're herding sheep. Yeah. Oh, the sheep were fun in this Try, movie. Trying to get, oh yeah, the sheep were hilarious. <laughs> the sheep were hilarious because they're disguising themselves as dragons because there's dragons everywhere. They're going to get eaten if they're not. So they're just like, oh no, I'm just a dragon. <laughs> Yeah, I want to spoil one little joke because it was just great because they're uh, they're they're sailing off somewhere and this one sheep gets excited and it does a very dog like thing and once they get out there and hang this thing on just kind of and a dragon looks over and suddenly slinks the sheep nope, slinks nope, back just down all us dragons here <laughs> all this is no sheep here mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so much fun but yeah definitely take the kids take strangers whatever go see the movie it's a whole lot of fun it's very good uh, and really frankly this is the only i think animated stuff outside of disney and pixar that i've really really enjoyed this much i mean i can't think of i mean the first ice age is good uh the despicable me the first one is pretty good you know it's not really something for repeated viewing to me i think i have a broader like level in this area than you do well i'm sorry when you watch a lot of disney you got like the people who are setting the bar and you got a lot of these other people who are just trying to churn out as many animated movies as they possibly can and most of them just really miss the mark well, there's there's some DreamWorks ones that I like that I don't think you cared for. 
like well the, the only ones from DreamWorks that I can really think of is these three although I think they did The Secret Life of Pets and I didn't like the first one and I probably won't care for the second one I don't think I'm going to bother all the funny stuff is in the trailer the rest of the movie was like Ugh. It was very disappointing. But, oh, well, the Lego movies are counted as animated, and you, but you didn't care for the Lego. No, I didn't care for the Lego. I still need to see the second one. You know, we, we reviewed it already. Eric had enjoyed it, and I need to go to that one. But, yeah, Disney's still setting the bar, but, boy, this one really hits the, hits the mark. I mean, they're, if, if, if DreamWorks can keep up this level of stuff, uh, then DreamWorks, I think, can be a competitor. Which is you know, kind of convenient, because that's universal, and they're the ones really trying to compete with Disney anyway when you consider the parks. Well, they're going to have to find a new trilogy or something. Yeah. What Universal needs to do is have a ride, if they don't already. Have something that Because, like, you have right now in Disney, in the Animal Kingdom, you have this Avatar flight of passage where you're riding on a banshee. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be cool if Universal got a similar idea and let you ride on a dragon? I was just thinking, a like, a, a roller coaster that's kind of like... Well, they did that. With like they little, did that. Little, that was oh, the twin okay. dragons that was in Harry Potter, which they've torn down. Which uh-huh. now they're they're they've got a new roller coaster they've been built up, and that's what's supposed to be a ride with Hagrid. Uh, so that should be fun. Well, but, I was thinking, but something that was like work. with a with a three D screen that was more real, not a roller coaster, but felt like you were riding on a dragon, mm. would be great. And then that that would be definitely something to compete with Disney. Although Disney might withhold a patent on the technology, but I'm sure Universal can come up with their own way to do that same thing, and it would be great. So, yep, but definitely go see it. To Disney and beyond. All right, Neverlanders, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different, going a little outside Disney once again, because I feel like we're having to do a tribute nearly every week as everybody's passing away. And But this was kind of a big one. Uh, and I had realized I'd never done a show really talking about the monkeys. And with Peter Torks passing away this past week, I thought, well, we really need to do that. But as they say in podcasting, if you're not an expert, find someone who is. So when I decided I was changing gears this, this week, I figured I'd get some of the biggest experts I could find. One guy who is a fan and one guy who is a mega fan. In <laughs> fact, Richard Woloski from Skywalking Through Neverland, who is a bigger fan of Davy Jones than even Marsha Brady. Oh, can, that, can that even be? Well, yes, yes, it is. It's possible. I am course, president of the Davy Jones fan club in Long Beach, California. <laughs> and of course, Jedi Schwa from Techno Retro Dads, who every time he hears of a torque wrench, thinks it's what Peter Torque used to tone his bass. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> you won't believe how long it took me to come up with those. <laughs> All morning. <laughs> and longer trying to come up with like the perfect ways to introduce you guys well you know what i give you full full credit for pulling out that brady bunch uh old school reference <laughs> well if we're going to talk about something from the 60s 70s we got to really go retro all out <laughs> seems like every week on skywalking through neverland we're talking about the brady bunch so this fits right in i don't know it just it just seeps in it's it's because there's a lesson in the brady bunch for just about every every situation in life you know i mean <laughs> yes never get in the way of a flying football <laughs> exactly and never lie to the school that you're going to get davy jones to play at your prom well so no that one know. works out okay actually <laughs> and when oh. you tell a tattle you're really tattletailing on yourself <laughs> oh, there you go. This <laughs> turned into a, a Brady Bunch tribute. <laughs> <laughs> one of these days, I might have to do that one, too. <laughs> uh, count us in. Yeah, because I can even make a connection because Christopher Daniel Barnes played Greg Brady in the film. Christopher Daniel Barnes also Prince Eric in The Little Mermaid and Spider-Man in Spider-Man, the animated series. So there's your Disney connection. Well, you know what? I'm going to plug 
my uh, last show, Skywalking Through Neverland, where we talked to Bruce Valanche, and he had written for the Brady Bunch Variety Hour and then for the Star Wars Holiday Special. Awesome. I haven't listened All to that right. episode yet, now that I think about it. <laughs> I saw you post it, I was like, oh, neat. Yeah, this guy this guy can tell stories, and he doesn't pull punches. <laughs> no, he He's kind of a big guy, so when he punches you, then... <laughs> Yeah, you're going down. But hey, you know what? Let's let's talk some Peter Torque here. <laughs> yeah. Now, I I bet you all probably have some uh, – well, I guess the Jedi Schwa and I were talking before. Our memories kind of start about the same time in the 80s when the monkeys were put in syndication. I remember over the summer was the first time I, I had seen the show. And I'd, I'd heard the music before. I'd heard Daydream Believer uh, on the radio because my mom used to listen to oldies all the time in the car. And so suddenly here's this show. And I mean, these guys were hilarious. And then they would play songs and they play Daydream Believer on one episode. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's these guys. And in my mind, I figured they were a completely legitimate band that somebody just decided these guys are entertaining. Let's make a show about them. I had no <laughs> idea that they were actually actors who the music kind of came in as a surprise. They were the first manufactured boy band. <laughs> Take that and, and still the best. Yeah, and they were actually a band and not just a group of people that sing. Because to be a band, you have to be able to play an instrument. Well, and they did. Yeah. The monkeys, the monkeys were fantastic. They were oh, fantastic yeah. musicians, especially Peter Tork. He was playing classical piano at the age of five. Wow. And, and all the monkeys could really play their instruments. And as a, as a backstory to your listeners who don't know about the monkeys and who just believe that they were just the actors who did not play any instruments. They were hired to be the actors, and the producers told them, we're going to have other musicians come on in and produce and do the do the recording of the musical tracks on your records. Well, after a while, the monkeys' egos and their talents said, hey, you know what, we can do this on our own. And they began to produce some of the monkeys' best albums to date, starting with Headquarters. That's yeah, see, I'm not goal. familiar with like specific albums. Yeah, oh, headquarters yeah. was their their third album. That's where they really gave it their own voice. the The first Monkeys album came out in 1966, followed by more of the Monkeys in 1967. They were more of the bubblegum pop music with "I'm a Believer" and "Last Train to Clarksville" and the Monkeys theme. But the these guys were in their early 20s, Davy at 19 years old, and do you know how you were at this age? Yeah, you wanted to you wanted to show off your own voice and let people know that you had a point of view, and it wasn't any different from these guys who said, "Hey, we got a, a little bit of notoriety here. We have the talent. Let's go and do this." So awesome. they, that's what that's that's what happened with the third album. It, it and the producing side didn't happen as quickly as when they had a seasoned producer, but now it's like, hey, it doesn't matter how long this is going to take us, we're still going to do it. And we got some great, great tracks, like Peter Tork's, uh, his, a song that he had written called For Pete's Sake, about the 60s generation. Fantastic hmm. song. Yeah, yeah see, these are songs I'm not familiar with. People that aren't fans of the Monkees, you know, that just kind of know who they are, um, they they probably have not heard a lot of these tracks that weren't yeah. those those big poppy kind of songs, and especially the ones that weren't on the show proper, right? And those are some of the best ones. I mean, they were really, really just a talented band, and unfortunately, I think because I think people were very closed-minded about it because of the way they formed the band, you know, and so they they just automatically shut themselves off from it because they didn't think they could be good. But 
Um, hey, even even Mark Hamill is a big fan, and he uh, tweeted a nice little tribute to to Peter the other day when he heard about it. Yeah, in fact, Mark Hamill was in the audience with me at the Monkees' 50th anniversary concert back in September of 2017. He was somewhere in that room. I didn't see him, but later on I saw him tweet out that he was there. <laughs> that like, that was totally counts, Richard. That, <laughs> yeah. You just get to say <laughs> you went to the Monkees' concert with Mark Hamill. That's all you have to say, and you're not lying. <laughs> That's one degree away from Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. I was in that same room monkeying around. That's right. <laughs> There you go. Well, I've seen them in concert twice uh, back in the 80s, and um, it was it was such a matter of fact, it was my very first concert. The Monkees were my very first actual concert that I went to. I saw them at uh, the Red Rocks Amphitheater here in Colorado, which is one of the most beautiful concert venues in the world. It's just amazing. Um, and it was such a good concert, especially for my first one. It was a great experience. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen them about, I would, I think I lost track at about 15, 15 concerts. And then I just said, okay, I'm just going to keep on going. It's like Star Wars. After 100, I stopped counting, counting the viewings. Yeah. (laughs) Now you just tell everybody, I've seen them 500 times. Yeah, Yeah, probably one or two more. (laughs) But yeah, the, the last concert, the 50th anniversary concert held at the Pantages Theater in Los Angeles, California, Boy, these guys in their mid seventies can rock harder than most of these young boy bands now. They were really on their game, and this this was the the concert to see because Mike Nesmith was with them as well. Mm. And I had seen all four monkeys back in nineteen eighty nine at the big monkeys convention here in Los Angeles, and they had a concert as well. And Mike joined them there and. Mike always said, if you're ever going to be in Los Angeles, this is where I am. I'll join you. And to see all four of them on stage, it was it was like I just tapped into my my five year old self. <laughs> so did you see them first in like the uh, the 80s or the 70s? When did you first see them, Richard? I mean, like I the first, show. I first saw the, the monkeys. I remember in 1974. Wow. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, yeah. I know. Three years <laughs> before me. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I, it was the same time around Planet of the Apes, and I remember having these two favorite shows, Planet of the Apes and The Monkees. And a friend, of course, The Monkees were on syndication back in 1974, yeah. and a friend of mine said, hey, do you want to watch the show The Monkees? And I'm thinking, Monkees, Apes, Apes, Monkees, Monkees, Apes, <gasps> yeah, are we going to see Cornelius and, and Galen and Urko and Dr. Zaius? No, that didn't happen on the monkeys. Not not at all. But I saw this first episode, and here are these four boys rolling around, jumping, and having fun, doing monkey romps. And you get to see them as they're performing music. And at that time, this never happened. Right. The generation was still seven years away. And to actually see the performers, it blew my mind. It was so revolutionary that I was hooked from that point on. And I didn't get my first monkey record until after that because I I didn't know. At that point, I thought the monkeys were a show from a while ago. Well, they still have records out. Couldn't really wrap my head around this. And I recall being in a record store with my mother, and I saw the monkeys' greatest hits. I screamed louder than any school <laughs> ever screamed. Nice. This, I was screaming and yelling because I never knew – the title to Last Train to Clarksville. I could never make out the word Clarksville. <laughs> At that point, 
couldn't go on Google because we didn't have Google or Siri or the Internet. So oh, that was I back in the days when we, we'd but, get the album and then we'd just just like devour that album cover while we listen to the music, you know, and you yeah. look, you read every word on it and you mm-hmm. investigate everything you can. That was, it was great. And I still have all of my lyrics final. Oh yes. You sit there and read the lyrics as they go through it every time. Yeah. yeah it's like, they said that take the last train to Clarksville. What, what's a Clarksville? <laughs> and then it came 1986 when it was about this time, February of 1986 that MTV said, Hey, let's start airing these episodes. Yes. And so at that point, the world was hooked. And I've never stopped being a monkey fan after the 1974-75 syndication years. The interest kind of waned because there wasn't anything. But I can say from 1986 until now, 2019, I've been a major, major monkeys fan. And my greatest workout mixtape, mixtape, <laughs> mixed playlist <laughs> is the monkeys. I got the best workout the other day just listening to the monkeys. <laughs> and and back, I, gosh, I don't know how many years uh, I've known you, Richard, but when I found out that there was other people that appreciated the monkeys like me, I was so excited. And <laughs> Richard, geez, Richard took it above and beyond what I ever expected anybody could do. So um, I was happy to find like-minded people. And I recall you had me on your show uh-huh. with uh, talking about the monkeys' fiftieth anniversary, and that was the first time I'd ever been on a podcast solely to talk about the monkeys. And I had such a great time, and you did this great artwork of me in the red shirt with the eight buttons. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's that. one, of my, one of my better logos. I like that one. That's good. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think I I learned anything more about the monkeys because I'd seen it in the eighties when they brought it on television. But uh, they did that made-for-TV movie about them. I remember watching that and learning, oh, my gosh, there was so much more to the story than just these guys that were really goofy. And uh, actually, in a little bit, it reminded me of Scooby-Doo because every time like a chase or some great action would happen in the show, they would cut it in where they were playing whatever kind of song. And then they would kind of have that fast-forward motion of being chased by whatever or chasing some sort of other thing or running around. Yeah. There's even some footage uh, somebody's released on YouTube where they have one of Peter Tork's song about uh, his aunt or something. And they're being chased by one of the Griselda. best yeah. ever, Auntie Griselda. <laughs> yeah. Everyone stop what you're doing right now and go look it up. Fantastic <laughs> song. And it's just great. But it's like that was some of the fun of the show is they had a great sense of humor on the show and the music was good. And I, I say I'm not familiar with the stuff they did afterward on their own, with their own other than I know they tried to uh, follow the footsteps of the Beatles a little bit and tried to make a movie. Then it had kind of mixed reactions, I guess. Well, actually, they – well, you're talking about the movie Head. That's a whole different episode right there. But the monkeys started with the, the first – the first impetus was the Beatles' Hard Day's Night. And then Bert Schneider, one of the creators with Bob Rafelson, said, let's go more on the Marx Brothers. So whenever someone say, you're a ripoff of the Beatles, like, no, we're, we're really paying homage to the Marx Brothers. And even the Beatles said – no, they're, they're more of the Marx Brothers than they are a band, and the Monkees couldn't agree more. And their show was so revolutionary because you have these, these filmmakers who n- knew of the French wave cinema, mm. and they were going to make the show in that style where you can break the fourth wall, where you can – Mickey Dolan's one episode said, hey, wait a minute – walks out of the set into the writer's room to get a new script. <laughs> like you, you don't see that in American television. 
And the monkeys, Peter wasn't an actor. He was, he was a musician. So he didn't know the rules of television. So you'll, you see him looking at the camera so many times and giving a wave or just giving a look because he didn't know not to do that. <laughs> I always liked Peter because he was, he was like the awkward dorky one, you know, to me at least. And I was like, I kind of felt that way. So I always, I felt like I related to him a lot more. And I actually the, the one episode that I always remember is where uh, I can't remember. They like made a deal with some weird evil con man or something where he suddenly got super abilities to play the harp. Oh, and yeah, suddenly the, the band got like super popular and he's playing the, the harp episode, everywhere. The episode, the devil and Peter Torque, yeah. one of Peter's finest, finest moments on the monkeys. That was one of those. And you saw his musician skills there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, that episode, he really brings out uh, his his acting chops. It was a very, very sentimental moment. Whenever someone, you ask a big Monkeys fan, what's your favorite Monkeys episode? They always mention the devil and Peter Tork when when Peter had traded his, his, uh, what did he trade? Uh, His soul. His soul. It was a a Faust theme. Traded his soul for the ability to play the harp. Yeah, and that is, is that also the same one where they have a song where they're trying to get it back? And uh, see, Mike actually had a song. There was a hey, salesman, say long yes, use a day. Yes. Yeah, all about going into the the delves <laughs> of, and this is where the censors really took took notice of the monkeys because they mentioned the H E double hockey stick word. <laughs> and of course, they mentioned it just to see how far they can get with the with the censors, but in the show, it was actually bleeped out with a cuckoo sound. <laughs> in 1967, you could not mention the H.E. double hockey stick place. Yeah, even if you're talking about it as a place, you couldn't do it. No, no. For a, a kid's show, no. This was <laughs> That was taboo if there ever was one. And that's the thing with the monkeys. They were always pushing that envelope, seeing how far they could get. And I, I would say this is one of the most revolutionary shows ever, just because it, yeah. did, it did push the boundaries and... It showed you the the actual uh, the birth of music videos. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which you That's, know, as a side note, you know who started MTV in 1981, right? Nope. Mike Nesmith. Really? Started MTV and sold the idea to oh, wow. I think it was Viacom. <laughs> because I, of the monkeys. Yeah, see, and that makes total sense. <laughs> yeah. And to me, also, uh, I think they've almost never been duplicated, except for maybe the Aquabats when they had their show there for a while. They reminded, except for they still had their gimmick of being, you know, this wacky superhero thing. But when the Aquabats had their show there for a brief time, it really reminded me of the Monkees, the way they did it, and they'd have some new songs they'd throw in there, and they had some wackiness. I don't know if y'all have watched that or even know who the like, Richard probably knows who the Aquabats are because they're big in California. Um. I've heard of the Aquabats, yeah. I've never uh, watched the, the show or anything, but <laughs> okay, uh, I'm alone in this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Mickey Dolan's says the closest show that ever came close to the Monkees was Glee. Here you have this this underdog group who just never got to that success level, and that's what the Monkees were. They were a yeah. band, and they just never made it to the level of success within the show. See, I never watched Glee. <laughs> That's a good show, too. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to send you all some clips for an episode of the, the Aquabat Super Show. Because, yeah, they're they're from Orange County, California. They've been around, uh, I want to say, early 90s. And uh, they're really big fans of Devo. And so their music style is a little bit like Devo, but kind of wacky. And they their gimmick is they're supposed to be superheroes. 
And so they were trying to get a TV show for the longest time. And then finally, back when we had Discovery Family, they had for two seasons an Emmy-winning television show, the, the, the Aquabats Super Show. And it was a little bit of like the monkeys, but it, from the angle, if the characters that were a band trying to make it were also superheroes that were trying to fight these weird monsters all the time. Uh, and so it was really over the top and wacky. And I know that, you know, they had to have been monkeys fans, you know, based upon how this show went. Like, this reminds me of the monkeys, only superheroes. Yeah, so I'm looking it up right, like it. right now. And I, I've never, <laughs> I've never seen this before in my life. Wow. They are oh. wearing very monkey men type of outfits, but they're mm-hmm. this blue where the monkey men were red. <laughs> they're from Orange Orange County is like, if I got a rock and threw it over my fence, I would hit Orange County. <laughs> monkey, wait, when are we getting a Monkey Man movie, Richard? Uh, we need Come on, right? You, you know what? <laughs> Back in nine, uh, I'm going to say 1992, a friend of mine was working over at Rhino Records. That's the company that acquired all the monkeys' rights, and they were trying so hard to produce a monkeys movie. And they they were thinking, okay, we're doing a monkeys movie without the monkeys because. They weren't sure the monkeys would be involved. They had the catalog. They didn't really have the rights to them themselves. I know that sounds convoluted, and it is. So they came up with all these ideas. They showed them to me, and I said, nope, 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 nope. As a monkeys <laughs> fan, uh, you need someone who's actually a monkeys fan to write this. So yeah. they said, Rich, do you want to take a stab at this? And I wrote them up a proposal about the monkey men, and it's 2019, and I'm still waiting for my phone call to ring. Oh, waiting for my phone to ring here. All right. Well, geez. Well, now that we don't have uh, Peter and Davey with us anymore, maybe maybe an animated series, maybe an animated Monkey Men. Have Have oh. you seen the animated videos around yes. the, the the songs from their album Good Times, which came out in 2017? Oh my God! This who would who would believe a band 50 years old, not the members, but the actual band that's 50 years would have a number one record. That's what oh, the Monkees so did awesome. with their album Good Times. It was number one on the Amazon uh, Billboard charts. And this and was I, a fantastic record, and they made actual monkey animated videos around some of these songs, and they were great. Yeah, oh and I gosh. love that they paid tribute to a lot of the stuff from the TV show. Yeah, a lot uh, of the in, the, in the animated videos. Yeah. How did I miss this? <laughs> Oh, you gotta check out. They had two albums. You don't know about the monkeys' animated videos? (laughs) No, I didn't know. I heard that they they didn't have a monkeys' Christmas album that came out here recently. Yep, just this last year. I heard about, but I didn't get to hear any of it. Once again, fantastic. In fact, I was in Las Vegas and they were playing that album over the loudspeakers of a of one of the malls. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's like oh, you know, you've made it when you're playing over the PA system of the (laughs) hotel. There you go. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. Now, so I don't know what a lot of them even did post the the show and post the the band and the the other albums they did when they weren't you know getting together for reunions. Other than I know Mickey Dolenz did do some voiceover work and was actually the original Arthur on the animated Tick series uh, before he left and was replaced by Rob Paulson. I'm not even sure why he left. Uh, it might have been mentioned because I, I did talk to Townsend Coleman, who was the Tick, uh, like my first season doing this. Uh, but I know that he dabbled in and did a bit more acting. Do you know if any of the other guys had done any other acting? Okay, other than yeah. Davy Jones popping up in the Brady Bunch movie. 
<laughs> After the monkeys, Peter had he lived that that hippie lifestyle where mm-hmm. materialistic goods were no good. He had a lot of money which he just gave away, gave away to his friends in need, and just gave away to anyone because that's not that wasn't his his mantra in life. You know, you always saw him giving the peace sign and wearing the peace beads and having little flowers painted on his face. That was more him. He he wasn't really cut out for the rock scene, and that's one of the reasons why he left the Monkees back in 1968, because he wanted to become more of a, a, a folk group rather than a rock band, and the other guy said, no, we're, we're good. So after the TV movies, 33 and a third revolutions per monkey, he, he left the band. He wanted to do his own thing, and he had been touring Greenwich Village in New York and was doing quite well. And whenever you saw him, he would always be carrying around the Wall Street Journal just because people kept kept confusing him with the character on the show who was always the dummy. Peter was <laughs> extremely smart. He was yeah. so, so smart. And people just didn't realize that. So he thought, OK, I need a visual aid. I need I need to walk around with a Wall Street Journal. And after a little, some touring, things didn't go well for him and. And he was he was living in a tent for a, a while. Wow. Until he became a music teacher. And then shortly after that, the monkeys be, got their 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 second wind with the nineteen eighty six revival tours. So he had a very up and down life. Yeah. Sounds like it was the life he chose though. That's what he wanted. Yeah. Yeah, and when you're in your early 20s, 22, 23, and you have so much success and notoriety. There's no no college course, no high school course to get you prepared for this. Yeah. You had no idea. So it was very hard for and even today. That's why you see all these kids going the way to the dark side because they don't know how to deal with it, especially after their show ends or their success stops and they, they grow up and they're not this cute little kid anymore. And Hollywood just pushes them aside. Now what do you do? Yeah. They're not, they're not, they're, they just they don't know how to deal with this kind of life. And Peter said, hey, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. Uh, I don't know what that's going to be. Just disappeared for a while. And I'm so fortunate that he came back for the, for the revival. Yeah. Well, it does sound like he lived life kind of on his own terms. He did what he wanted to do with his life. And so you got to commend him for that. Oh, very much so. Very, mm-hmm. very much so. And he, he loved touring with the other guys, had a great time. But toward the end, he just, he's in, he's in his mid to late 70s. He, he deserves a, a little bit of a break. Yeah. <laughs> so he went to McDonald's because he deserved a break today. Okay, no. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, nice. <laughs> that wasn't a good joke, but I'm going to laugh at it anyway because it was mine. <laughs> well, you know what? You can edit in some laughter. There we go. Hey, I've had people tell me that they listen to the show and they think Eric and I are pretty funny. So I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> Judging by that joke, I, I don't doubt them. <laughs> you know what? There's one thing, one more thing we got to mention is Peter had a great blues band called the Shoe Suede Blues. Oh, cool. He played little clubs all around, all around the, the country and played more of the bluesy songs that he loved. Peter was an awesome banjo player. And he would play the monkeys songs more in a bluesy style. Of course, he, he the whole show wasn't devoted to the monkeys. He wanted his own band with his own sound. Mm-hmm. But yeah, go look this up on on YouTube anywhere called Shoe Suede Blues. 
you'll hear some some great great music. Wow. So did anybody else do any other music? Because I think well, Mickey Dolenz has done some stuff on his own, hasn't he? Didn't he put out oh, an album yeah. or two? Mickey's yeah, he had a, a great a album a couple of years ago called Remember. And these are all the songs that meant so much to him growing up, songs that really turned his life in one way or another, songs that he had written, and songs that just had a, a very sentimental impact on him that helped him grow. So you'll hear, you'll hear some Beatles songs on there. And it's, it's an acoustic album. And he, Mickey has got one of the most soulful voices you'll ever hear. Oh, yeah. Yes. So that's the thing. Is you always, it always felt like Davy Jones was the guy, because uh, well, I watched the Brady Bunch, but Davy Jones was like the lead guy. But really, when you when you start looking at it, Mickey Dolenz is the one who was doing most of the singing. Yeah. Davy Jones is over there with his tambourine, you know, just doing his thing. <laughs> yeah. If you, you could almost say that Mickey was the – was maybe – 52% of the vocals and mm-hmm. Davy Jones coming in at another 40% and then Mike and Peter. Well, Mike, Mike had a lot of songs. Mike, but, Mike had a, yeah, he had that more, uh, more country feel. Yeah, yeah he did. His voice and in his fact, songs. Here's another fun fact. The monkeys, they, they they are the ones who had pioneered country rock. There was never country rock before the monkeys and Mike Nesmith had had developed this new style with the song Papa Jean's Blues. He had written this song and and Don Kirshner said, What what is this? I don't how do you clarify this? And Mike said, It's a little bit of country, a little bit of rock and roll. Kinda <laughs> like what the Donnie Donnie Marie. Donnie Marie. Yeah, or, or John, Johnny Cash to me has always been kind of that country rock, southern rock type of style, with his early stuff anyway. It's like him, him and Johnny Cash. Mike, Mike Nesmith and Johnny Cash would have been a good twofer type of concert. Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. But yeah, country country rock really started with the Monkees. Cool. So that's we 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 owe him for Charlie Daniels. <laughs> we, we owe the Monkees for a lot. Yes, and we no, do. No, yeah. There are a lot of bands, even a lot of actors say, "Hey, the the Monkees is that's that's where." That's how I got my inspiration. In fact, a lot of these shows that I do right now, a lot of my live shows are so are so directed toward the monkeys and their humor. There's there's so many homages. There's mm-hmm. so many so much inspiration in my shows that I've taken from the monkeys. When yeah. I had talked to James Frawley, one of the directors of the monkeys, I told him that, and he got he was he was very verklempt. Oh, nice. <laughs> so a, a style that he really helped the monkeys develop really has had an impact and is still living on today and yeah. especially especially peter well yeah. i and i i use that as well both in my shows and in my just in my daily life uh teaching kids you know it's kind of that that light-hearted fun positive kind of humor and the way of looking at life and and but still being as creative as you can you know that's the kind of stuff i try to encourage in all my kids and my students and so I and and the monkeys were a big part of that influence for sure. Yeah, they probably had a big influence on me too because I was just that right age when I was watching them. You know, probably I guess MTV is where I was seeing them for the first time because I just remember them being on in the afternoons and they just had that great wacky sense of comic timing and the looks they would get on their their faces. Uh, they, I just I remember the expressions like Mickey Dolan's would have that kind of like head tilt kind of. Uh-huh, a little bit that he would do every once in a while that always stuck with me. I always thought he would make a great joker, too, because of that grin he has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I can, I can, I can see that. Yeah. And, and Peter always had that 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 sheepish, yes. meekish guy. Yeah. yeah you're, you're right. Like a lot of a lot of kids growing up in the '70s or seeing them again in the '80s could really relate with that character. Mm-hmm. And then of course Mike Nesmith was the perfect deadpan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much Mike. <laughs> yeah. He, but he was so good at it, though. He was just could give he could give the craziest line, but just do it so straight laced. It was like you're awesome. So about any type of sense of humor you had, somebody on there was going to relate to you. <laughs> right, and the and the four boys had such different personalities, which mm-hmm. you don't really see that much in in TV today. Everyone's got the same voice, but with the monkeys, they all had such a unique, different character and a, di- a different point of view. And this this is this is a show written for kids, but they put so much work in developing these characters and their their personalities. Yeah. Perhaps without the monkeys we wouldn't have the teenage mutant ninja turtles that we have today. And without the monkeys we wouldn't have had the new monkeys. <laughs> we have new monkeys? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, you know the old saying <laughs> Let, let a dime make a dime. <laughs> yeah. But when Columbia, the studio that really owned the monkeys, said, hey, the, this show is a huge hit, and we got to do another show. And the guys, the, back in the 80s, the monkeys were, they were two, two different entities. There was the band with Mike, Mickey, Peter, and Davey, and then there was the TV show, and they were two different, two different entities. In fact, they were in court all the time as to who really owned the name. Well, Columbia said, we developed the show, we originated the show, we get the trademark on the show, so it's our show. So they went off and they produced The New Monkeys. That was the oh, name wow. of it, The New Monkeys. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it was more more like Pee-wee's Playhouse than anything else. And <laughs> wasn't, yeah, it, did, it didn't last that long, but yeah. to watch it now, it's very kitsch and it's very fun. I'm, I'm friends with one of The New Monkeys, his name is Marty Ross. And he he just loves that era, and you see he he and Mickey Dolan's hanging out all the time, which is really fun. <laughs> it's like the old and the new. Of course, you know if uh, if you're one of the original monkeys, the best way to get around any copyright thing is just like, well, let's just take one of those extra E's and turn it into a Y, and then there we go. <laughs> yeah, we'll throw an extra N in there. There you go. <laughs> Find a way to misspell it like the Beatles did. <laughs> But in the end, the monkeys, the band, they did win that suit, and they had the rights the rights to use the name. Awesome. Yeah, copyright, that's one of those things that almost never makes sense. <laughs> and boy, don't I know it. I had to study copyright in college because I run the fine line of, of doing it. You know, when you create stuff like this, there's that area where you're like, okay, there's a certain area where you consider what your content is educational so you can borrow a little, and then there's that other fine line where you use just three notes of somebody's song, or somebody recognizes and says, those three notes are in my song, and they can sue you for it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then as soon as you think you know everything about copyright, Disney comes in and clears the playing field and says, we're going to start all over again. <laughs> we still own Mickey Mouse. Well, they, they almost didn't for a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mickey was on very, very thin ice. That's when Disney came in and said, let's rewrite some of these copyright rules. Yeah, which kind of makes sense because, it, really, if you're still using a character that you've created within the company, you should still be able to maintain all rights to that character. It just makes sense to me. And that's where the logic comes in and becomes illogical. 
because that's not always the case. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's trying to, this is why I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I wouldn't want to have to dive into all this complicated stuff. I just want to have fun, create some stuff, and then share it with the world. Yeah, I've got friends who are copyright lawyers, and they're even saying, I, I, I don't know. I've got no idea. <laughs> yeah, they just keep changing the rules. <laughs> Every time you have the answers, they keep changing the questions. Uh, yes. <laughs> Now I'm probably going to get sued for borrowing that line. I can't remember where it's from. <laughs> I think it was a wrestler. <laughs> well, your sentence had more of a of a exclamation point, or maybe originally it was a period. There you go. <laughs> we we find those little things. I'll represent uh, you in court. There we go. <laughs> now, do we have any sort of Disney connection that anybody knows about so we can tie this nice little bow on it so all my regular Disney listeners can be like, that's how it relates. Well, they did. Uh, Mickey Dolan's played a a monkeys uh, a, a, not a monkeys concert, but a solo gig at one of the theme parks a couple of years ago, and he was wearing a Star Wars shirt. There you go. Oh, uh, my my world all just collided <laughs> and just erupted rainbows. <laughs> I think I, just, I I took a screenshot of that and just plastered it everywhere. <laughs> Uh, so if you would have killed over and died right there, you'd have been happy, and everybody would have been like, "This was his time." <laughs> how how else could could his life go? And I don't know. Davy has played Disney uh, quite a few times. He even he did a 50th anniversary happy birthday song. But as for Peter or even Mike, uh, well, we'll have to make something up. <laughs> sure. I know they yeah. mentioned Disneyland. On their show a couple of times. Well, I'm sure people at Disneyland have worn a similar hat to Mike's. <laughs> there you go. In fact, there, there was a go. line in, in an episode where Mickey looks at someone with long hair and says, they'll never let you into Disneyland with hair that long. <laughs> <laughs> this was back when, when you had, if guys had hair going past their ears, they could not get into Disneyland. <laughs> that was not wow. what they wanted to represent. Wow, yeah, that's that's the early Disney for you. Mm-hmm. And then later, John Lennon is there at Walt Disney World when he signs the papers that ends the Beatles. So, you know, long hair apparently was allowed then because <laughs> he the was Beatles. John Lennon. <laughs> Beatles, I'm, I'm not familiar. Are they with? Are they, are they like the Aquabats? <laughs> they were. They, they opened for the Monkees, Richard. It's uh, <laughs> oh, okay. I, it was, I, yeah, they I, were big fans. Know. So yeah, never, never. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Okay, well, I better wrap this up here. So, uh, you know, well, of course, we've spoken to everybody being creators. So if you all each, I'll let one of you decide who's going to go first on give a quick pitch to your show and where the people can find you. Oh, schwa. All right. Oh, well, thank you very much. Well, uh, I, uh, you know, am co-host of Techno Retro Dads with my buddy Shaz Bazaar over there on RetroZap.com. So check that out. We talk about all things that we grew up with in the 70s and 80s and how we're sharing them today. So um, it's it's always great fun discussion. So then, of course, I also do uh, Superhero Suite, a podcast with uh, Jovial Jay Shepard, where we talk about The Flash, Arrow, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So you can check out our shows over there at RetroZap.com as well. So love to have uh, anybody come join us in on the fun. And we are over here at Skywalking through Neverland.com where you can hear our weekly shows where we talk about Star Wars fandom, Disney fandom, Marvel fandom. 
We just saw a sneak preview of uh, Captain Marvel. So we'll be doing a whole breakdown of, of that film, which is an awesome film. Great, great film. And we try to keep the vintage era of Star Wars alive. So we're, we're talking to a lot of people that have never been on a podcast before. Like we're the only podcast to ever get the Star Wars producer Gary Kurtz on the show. That was a major high for us. We just had Bryce Eller on, who did all the Darth Vader live appearances in the 70s and 80s and did all the TV appearances. We just talked to Bruce Valanche, a Hollywood writer, who also wrote on the Star Wars Holiday Special. We've got so many great shows coming up, and we also have a lot of Star Wars Celebration Chicago episodes coming up where we give survival tips and techniques and what to do and what not to do, because we're all... Star Wars Celebration Veterans. And we dive into all the Disney films. We have another spinoff show called Step in Time, where we break down the 70s and 80s live-action films. We also have another another spinoff called Classic Marvel Star Wars Comics, where we break down the Star Wars comic books of the 70s and the 80s with artist Randy Martinez. And for you Planet of the Apes fans, we have Talking Apes, where we break down all of the live-action and animated TV shows of 1974 and 1975, and, and now talking to all the actors and producers and what's going on in the ape world today. And once again, you can reach, you can, you can find us at skywalkingthroughneverland.com. Come on over and say hello to me, my sweetie wife, Sarah. Yep, and as I've told people several times, if you like my show, you'll like their show, because there's just enough similarities. I mean, we're all the same level of geeky fandom. You're going to love them if you love me. Well, <laughs> thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for for letting us come on and and talk some monkeys and yeah. and and really pay homage to the great and legendary Peter Tork. Oh yes. Well, we had to monkey around a little bit, but even though we're too busy singing to put anybody down, <laughs> and, we're, and we're coming to your town exactly through the Be afraid and Apple podcast. <laughs> All right, well, thank you guys for coming along and having some fun with us. Thank you, oh. sir. Thank you, and now i got to take that last train to Clarksville. I'll meet you at the station. <laughs> Will you be there by 4.30? I don't know any other lines. <laughs> we'll make I'll make your reservation, Jeremy. <laughs> Is it the Transylvania <laughs> station? <laughs> ja, ja, track 49. Okay, sorry, I went Young Frankenstein there. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official lost boy or pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander. Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions 
And a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless. Yeah! Hello, everybody. This is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you.